So let's get this started. All right, welcome back to the strategy show, everybody. Sprinters, exciting. Today we have the co-founder of race.com who will let us learn from his experiences and his team's experiences in founding, growing and scaling an online business. And we are so excited to have you here. Hello, Frederick. Hi, Simon. And we have a ton of questions. And um, would you start telling us what the different stages were in building your company and uh, in understanding customers, creating wonderful products, and then growing and scaling from there? So uh, we started out really um, kind of in a, in a prototyping way. So we started out with, uh, with um, actually different ideas for different markets. Um, but we had an ongoing problem that we faced before where we had like a prototype built um, to, to solve a very specific need. Um, the, the basic idea was um, we had a large, or we were working in a, a very, very quickly growing company, which was set up to be international from the get-go. And we had a quite complicated process of getting every landing page, every part of the product, of the software localized into all the languages. And uh, we really lost track of uh, what translator was finished, where the progress was with translations, and then at the end bringing it all back together into the product. And it was really um, slowing us down, like we weren't able to ship as quickly uh, as we wanted. And so the basic idea we came up with was, hey, couldn't we give translators access to our product so that they would just change the copy in place and then be able to, to uh, not have uh, so many loops of asking questions like, how is this meant? Is this a button? Is this a headline? And also having a higher quality outcome because the translator would have a lot of contextual information. And this spark building a prototype which was really yeah one one day exercise i think it took us two days to build it and then we tried it out and it worked really well uh, for our own process uh, a couple of months later um we kind of the, the the project was still going on but we thought okay maybe this is something we we can develop like if we have the problem and uh, there might be other people out there having the same problem because from our experience, like we we were on a on a couple of uh, localized um, products, we co-founded a couple of startups, and we always kind of came to this point where the product became really successful, and uh, the the teams or the the marketing and the business development wanted to go to a new market, and then localization basically comes in as your as your as your way to do it. And um, we, we never had a good solution for that on the technical side. However, we also didn't know the market well because we were always very focused on the markets of the products we were working on. And of course, not so much on like this, this vertical of the, the tooling we just built for our localization process. So it was a completely new market for us. 
And what we found when we looked into the market and kind of analyzed how current companies and products were, were being built and what they focused on, it became very clear to us that they were built for linguists and uh, localization companies, which is great. There, there must be products for linguists and localization uh, um, companies, but they were just not built for software development. And so we thought, okay, this might be a niche where we could be successful. And actually before then trying to um, build a lot of features and so forth, we first of all um, tried to get the value proposition right and basically validate with Google Ads if we could get people with our value proposition, like give translators direct access to your software to be able to ship faster and have a higher quality if we could attract other software teams interested in that. So engineers setting up internationalization, product managers, everyone basically involved in, in, this, uh, in this effort. And we really um, wanted to be really specific. We, we actually only targeted Rails engineers, basically. And then Rails engineers who were in the process of internationalization or who were working on an internationalized product. Mm -hmm. What we discovered was, was how can you find out who is who is working on internalization internationalization? Oh, that's core IP. That's that's. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. It's, it's it's really hard, uh, and actually that that was one one of the things that that we discovered. Like even if you have the idea of wanting to target somebody who is just about to or is working on an internationalized product. You have to figure out ways of finding out who these companies or who these uh, individual people may be, and um, we um, uh, we we had some ideas. So, for example, we tried to associate ourselves with uh, writing open source and libraries uh, for for Rails and internationalization, and for basically researching. Okay. Where, if, I, if I'm a developer starting out, where, where did I look? And luckily we were developers ourselves. We were kind of rooted in the community. So we knew about the places to look at. And then we tried to figure out, okay, how can we be present there? Like, is it about answering a question on this topic on Quora, on Stack Overflow? Is it about getting links in the official documentation or is it about um, kind of um, um, people blogging or doing podcasts on the topic of coding? Maybe we could uh, get get some some leads from there. So we kind of researched how to how to get to the places where these questions would be asked. And of course, one of the simplest places to access is Google. Um, because in search engines, you know that people ask questions and people people will go to Google for almost every of their initial questions. And then you it becomes a matter of finding out the language, finding out the, the way or the type of questions you would ask if you have the problem or if you're new to the problem space. So typically it would be like in the teams where we were working at, it would be like, okay, there's this one engineer who has already worked on a localized product before, and they will be usually the ones in charge of setting it up for the new product or for the new project. And so um, 
a lot of times there will be no one who has been working on a localized product before, at least at that time. Like it has changed a lot uh, nowadays. Uh, and then we would basically try uh, to come up with, okay, well, what may be the questions that they're asking themselves? And then we would validate that with ads. So like if people um, put in um, how to localize a Rails app, we would have then an ad which basically said, okay, uh, make it really easy and simple to localize your Reds app with phrase and get leads by that. And so we were really uh, specific in our targeting. We could validate if kind of uh, we could uh, resonate with the audience. And then we basically generated leads. I mean, we didn't call them leads at the time, but they were basically people who, who signed up for our product, even though our product wasn't there. Like we showed this little prototype um, we had built, but it was basically just just a sign up form for this. Like, do you think you could use this in your process? We think it makes it really easy and usable. Um, and we're planning to charge a hundred bucks for it per month. Like, is this something that's of interest for you? And then after they had basically done this, uh, this, yeah, I'm interested in that. We basically wrote them a message saying, okay, we're working on it, we will let you know as soon as it's ready. And our initial goal was like attracting something like, like 10 users for this in the beginning. And once we had achieved that, I think we didn't achieve 10. It was like four or five, but it was enough for us at the time to say, okay, um, there's something in it. And we see it's not only us, we had our internal proof and now we had some external proof. And um, we, we could actually kind of start fleshing out the product and, and adding uh, adding kind of the initial features that would be needed to, to make it work in the beginning, to actually be able to use it. So now, eight years later, you are 50 people. How, do you, how did you get from validated prototype to scaling and 50 people? We really were um, a product first company and I think in many regards we still are. So in the beginning for us, um, it was all about um, building the best functional experience for our customers that we could. And we developed the company in such a way that we focused on the technical aspects and tried to build simply the best product there is on the market. And also in the materials and the marketing we did, we kind of highlighted this. It's a typical technical thing. Like if you're a founder with a technical background, you will focus on the things that are technically appealing to you, like having a great API or like um, being being really scalable and fast and uh, stuff like that. And we figured out that over time that we needed more to actually um, generate significant traction because what we basically did was we did founder sales. So we uh, opened up our our, our uh, Rolodex, we emailed everyone we could and basically told them, hey, we have this great new product, this great new idea, uh, let me show it to you and let me convince you that it's something you desperately need for your process. And But we, of course, only had this functional idea and said like, yeah, you understand uh, handling this type of files is really hard and don't you have also a lot of copy and paste? So we had success with um, people who really were in that process and could relate to that messaging 
um, but it was impossible for us to, to relate with people who had the problems but didn't know the technical aspect. Beautiful. So many listeners right now are resonating with this because they are also doing um, founder sales right now. How, how did you transition from you doing the sales to people doing the sales? Did you start by hiring people and having them in your team? Or did you go outside and outsourced the sales? Or did you go collaborations and joint ventures? Um, how, how did you do that? So um, in the beginning, we really focused on having a self-service product. So as we were a developer team and team of developers, all founders are developers themselves, we um, um, built kind of an automated solution. So we tried ways how we can automate lead generation. So um, the, the right set of campaigns, um, uh, the, the right set of, for us, of control variables. So KPIs where we could see, okay, is the conversion okay? Do the pages work? Like, of course, there's a direct correlation between like your price and the conversion and you pay a certain amount for, for the, the clicks you get over campaigns. But we did it through automation and kind of um, an approach which is like inside sales. So we, we didn't we didn't really care too much about the scalability of things. We did a lot on our own and if we could we scaled with software in the process and automation. Um, however, that of course only brings you to a certain level. Uh, and what, what we always did a lot was um, talk to our customers, talk to initial customers and just found out basically, okay, what, what was the convincing part? Uh, like, okay, we, we understand you bought our product, but what did you buy? Like, did, did you buy us as, as founders? Were you convinced that you kind of, uh, that we would uh, build the, the company up and it would be better in the future and so forth? Did you buy into the idea? Did you buy into something we, we didn't even sell you, but, but you interpreted into it? And basically through, through this um, experience, we found out, okay, um, first of all, we need to operationalize certain things that take away kind of time. Uh, and so we uh, operationalized um, uh, customer success. We operationalized kind of this interaction with the end user. That was the first thing we did because it gave us more time to focus on the product and focus on selling the product. Um, the next thing we did was once we discovered that kind of this early stage content and this this um, content that kind of showed uh, people how to approach localization uh, for their platform or for the use case they had worked, we tried to operationalize that. We worked with freelancers, we worked with students who did it part-time, we worked with agencies, for example, on the optimization on our campaigns. and. Everything brought us um, a bit further along, like we learned a lot of stuff. I, I would also always um, urge you to um, talk to experts in the field. Uh, it can be for money, like, like many of these, of course, make a business uh, out of their expertise, but also many are just uh, happy to talk about the, the topics because they're passionate about it. 
and they will get, give you insights, also other founders. So for us, um, it was really crucial that we um, developed contacts to other founders and found kind of peer groups where we could exchange ideas, found out what worked for them and uh, try to kind of find out what works for us. And last but not least, uh, reading. Like we've, we've read so many books, we probably read too many books because it keeps you from getting out of the building. Uh, but uh, it's just most, most problems have been tackled in the past. And like reading another book on the topic just gives you more tools to, to kind of address the complexity. As for us, after kind of scaling up the operational parts, um, we started with marketing because uh, we were an inbound company and we kind of and in the beginning thought we don't need any sales. For us, sales was just facilitation of the contracts and we could do that on our own in the early days. Um, but the next thing, like when we had um, uh, built up like a really small marketing team, we actually um, um, tried to build up sales um, and it was mainly driven, driven from the idea it's really good to have like one channel um, that kind of works but it's also really risky because with a channel like ads or SEO it's not only about kind of cracking the channel initially but then also uh, keeping your position and being able to defend that position and stuff can happen. For example, if Google changes its algorithm, which it does regularly, you might lose out on a lot of leads. And so as kind of risk hedging, you have to develop multiple channels uh, over time. And of course, in the beginning, like hiring your, your first um, sales employee didn't work so well for us, for example, because we had no sales DNA we didn't know how to package our product. We didn't know who to approach. Uh, like we knew kind of this one channel, um, the, the developer interaction, which worked organically, but we didn't really know about how to approach sales, both from an execution perspective, operationally, and uh, then what to expect. Because for us, it was like, yeah, we just put up this landing page and a couple of ads and we'll get leads. So sales will be the same way. Like call 10 companies we don't know and of course like one or two will kind of jump on the idea and buy the product directly and we figured out the hard way that sales especially in enterprises takes a long time and is about persistency it's about of course the quality of your offering but it's mostly about the customer like like what do they actually need want what is important to them like do we have any topic to talk to them about which which they care for where they won't put down the phone after a second and so um, this this building up the sales um, we did internally so we hired full-time employees just because we thought that it was really important to have this knowledge inside the team and this understanding of the processes however um, then uh, we got lucky and got somebody who was really um, uh, who was really um, uh, looking for, for the next step and who worked in a successful team before but who wanted to uh, kind of uh, do, do the next step in, in his career and he really helped us professionalize and build up the, the team and we're still at an early stage but it just helped to, to have somebody in the room with actual sales experience and 
we know how things would work and how to handle customers and how to kind of kind of move the sale forward and along because a lot of it is also about closing and getting to the close and so these this sales dna really helped us and now um, we work with um, external coaches uh, we work with um, with um, agencies to generate leads we work with agencies to do sales experiments and we build up our own internal team so for me it's always about a mix like get the most know-how out of the market you can get and build your own expertise where it's really important for your business and i think understanding the market and the mechanics of selling your business is always core to the business beautiful what was one growth challenge where you say okay i would do this differently this time almost everything <laughs> it's a, i think like if you if you look at any problem um, a year afterwards uh, or even a couple of weeks you will have found out so much about the problem that uh, you you kind of laugh at your first take on it and i think um what um uh, one one of the growth challenges we faced in the beginning was um we didn't really um, value spending money on sales and marketing because to us it, it felt weird. I mean, coming from engineering, we were like product first, product is everything. Um, but I think um, actually the step of making marketing and sales really important and really um, part of the company was for us a crucial moment because like for us, founder sales is, is kind of easy because you always have this uh, this uh, uh, like you, you've sold stuff before you know everything in depth but it's, it's really hard to kind of um, uh, yeah build an organization that that really can can handle that and also the willingness to spend money on experiments and lose money um, is important like uh, for example, we are bootstrapped and we have a very, very good business model, which help us, helps us to, to finance our growth. Um, however, um, nowadays, I would say it's, it's crucial that you do not only spend your own money, for example. So I wouldn't shy away from the opportunity to, to build up a, a sales uh, organization with, with external financing and if the leverage is right. Like if I see, okay, we've, we've cracked the idea, we've cracked the kind of the, the flywheel of how it works, and now we just need money as a commodity. So I'm, I'm not as uh, critical about spending money anymore. Cool. And one thing that you need to solve in the future that you're trying on your way to scale even more that you are currently trying to tackle and learning more about, where maybe others can chip in and uh, connect with you and tell you how they did it. Um, one thing is um, we're, we're really um, trying to, to um, move faster in or to learn is um, how to simplify the sales pitch. I think it's really important that you can formulate an idea that, that really sticks uh, in, a, in, in simple words and, <laughs> and not so many words uh, as, as we currently use. So that's that's one thing. And the other thing is um, we do a typical bottom-up sell. So we convince um, teams and 
sometimes individuals to basically become the champions of our solution because it solves their individual pain and it solves an organizational pain they know about and they discovered and they stumbled upon so they can resonate with, with our solution. However, we have a really hard time doing a top-down sale. So if there are top-down sale uh, um, experts out there, I'm more than willing uh, to talk to them because uh, that, that seems to be a hard nut we are still trying to crack. Beautiful. Also, people, go to phrase.com, see what their pitch is right now, and uh, mail, mail Frederick and their team what your idea is on how an even simpler simpler way of putting it is so you could get a lot of free consulting in the next days i love it and um, frederick is there something more you want to share with the audience about the growth of your company the scaling of your company and um, what what you learned on the way uh, i think there is um i uh, like like in a, in a previous interview um, we talked about um uh, the founders needing passion and kind of needing to have uh, a, yeah, a passion that holds for a couple of years. And for the company, the organization, I think it's the same. Like besides the spiritual core that you need to kind of um, align everything around, um, you also have to think about um, the culture you're um, building up. And it, like it, it may sound a bit meta, but you're always building up a culture. It doesn't matter if you're like five people or if you're a hundred people, and it doesn't matter if you call it culture or if you, if it's just kind of the ways you act as a founder or you act as, as kind of a director in, in the position you are, you're kind of implementing a culture. And the earlier you think about it, um, the more it can help you. It can be a formative aspect. It can give you alignment in the company. It can show everyone um, yeah, what you care about and it will propagate. And I think a lot of things, especially like in the transfer of knowledge and uh, sharing ideas, um, a culture can, can really help on that. Like if you foster the culture, if you focus on it, if you also detect deviations of what you started out or what you wanted to have as a culture, tackle it. Because uh, culture is not about hygiene, uh, it's about uh, uh, getting things right, doing the right things, attracting the right team members and being able to, to achieve great things. And so we did a lot of experimenting in that area. We do self-organization, we align ourselves with holacracy, um, we try to be really transparent about things. So we have a lot of numbers. We're, maybe too data-driven in certain aspects. Some aspects, we, we cannot even put a number on it. Um, but I think we, we have a clear idea on what our current culture is, and we really actively shaped it, the types of meetings we have, the types of activities. Some things people resonate with a lot. Some things maybe oddities of us as founders, but are still part of our, our cultural core and I think this cultural core is really really important love it and it's it's both it's an operating model if you say holacracy and then there is a set of structures and systems and processes and reports if you use Glassfrog or something similar which create culture because structure creates culture do you have also something like 
a, a manifesto, a, a, a values set. How, so how, how do you um, make culture tangible and maybe even... Uh, I ask because the, this thing you see here, that's the manifesto of the Strategy Sprints team. And, um, and every month when we have our performance dialogues, there is also one part where we don't, we don't just talk about uh, performance and KPIs and the monetary situation, but we also talk about these behaviors that we listed here and we give feedback to each other 360 degrees about how did I perceive you. For example, one is called always curious and then I get feedback if I was perceived in this month, in that meeting, in that case, uh, as always curious from one to ten or as just very stubborn and um, so and we learn from that and we we get we give and get feedback about that and it's also something that we can show to clients and there is also a checklist if we work with somebody if they can relate to this and if we think that they qualify to this kind of set of values and we call it the manifesto how did you make your values workable, tangible, discussable? Um, so it's, uh, for us, it's definitely an iterative um, process. Uh, in the beginning, um, we started out um, from, from like this, this um, uh, vision, values, mission um, pyramid uh, and tried to align actually as a founder team on what we thought were our our core beliefs or what we thought were the values we would like to see. So it was very constructivistic and um, this iterated over time and became uh, more an approach to what values do we demonstrate, what is kind of organic to us and um, what of these demonstrated values are really the ones we wanted to focus the company on and align the company on. And also, of course, this founder-only discussion then became a company discussion. More and more people are involved, and so it iterates over time. From a documentation or like like um, uh, paper uh, perspective, we have a compass. So we have one compiled documents which which um, contains the values, um, which contains where we come from, an idea on where we want to go. Um, simple sets of yes and no answers to, to often ask questions about our direction or focus or market or company. And we have that given to, to every new hire, new employee joining the team. And we regularly update it to, to align it with kind of our current set of strategic objectives. And we also talk often um, about this. Um, I think like closing the loop, for example, in feedback processes and um, using the values as something you can talk about is really important and we're not yet uh, there. So it's, it's not like, like a dimension that we use as you described um, in talking about things, uh, but it's definitely something we're looking into making more accessible and making more present in meetings and in these kind of um, feedback processes. Beautiful, Frederick. Thank you so much for sharing how you founded phrase.com from a prototype, from individual solutions to something that had market 
proof to something that got traction? How do you experiment? How do you find out how to improve that all the way? And that you're still learning, even in the midst of your success, you're still researching, learning, you are so open and you were even so generous to share that with us and with the Sprints community. So thank you so much, Frederick. And uh, Sprinters, you will find some notes as always in the episode notes field. And if you want to check Frederick and his team, it's phrase.com. So everybody, thank you so much and keep rolling. Bye-bye. Bye, Frederick. Thank you, Simon. Entrepreneurial freedom is awesome. It's also a lot of hard work to get there. And when you are there, it's easy to lose your grip. Our community of over 16,000 entrepreneurs is getting stronger and stronger every week because we amplify each other. We share what works and drop the rest. We test, refine, improve. Check strategysprints.com slash clarity to level up your business and have fun doing it.